Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Surreal Life Morning Motivation Radio Show on 95.9 WOVU. And I'm your host for the day, or your host always, Sir Evan. Listen, I'm so glad you're here this morning. If nobody else has told you they're happy to see you, happy to know you, I want to let you know firsthand that I am. I got a fantastic show today. I got a great friend of mine stopping by today because at the end of the day, I want to be able to help inspire, empower, and motivate you throughout your day. I got a wonderful guest today. My boy Jay Floyd just finished up his new book. We're going to speak more with him about that and some more great things that are going on in his life. I want to go ahead and get some music spinning to get your day flowing, get your commute going, and get your vibe glowing. Also, we got today's morning motivation message coming up next. Salute. It's a beautiful people say successful people made it because they were hungry but rarely do i hear people mention that unsuccessful people are hungry as well you see inside of all of us lies a drive that can propel us forward as well as a force that desires the opposite the opposition fears change and entering into anything that is unknown is sure to spark some fear. However, 
The one that is stronger will always be the one that we feed. A strong appetite develops within us for one or another. So the question is, which one have you been feeding? The appetite of that which works against us can become quite aggressive, forcing one to feed it based upon habits of hunger. Then there's the hunger for something greater. That's that hunger that us allows us to reach new heights that we've never even imagined were possible. You're only as strong as the energy that you feed. What is it that you do when you're faced with a traumatic experience? What is it that you do to come out of that? What is your coping skills? What mechanisms have you designed that help you to either rise above your situations or sink below? Which one are you actually feeding in your life? You see, today's guest, Jay Floyd, has an amazing testimony in which he has had to develop some quite creative coping skills to come through the traumatic events that he has went through in his life. But as a result, he has done some amazing things to help inspire those in his life and also striving to inspire more. We'll sit down with Jay as we discuss his new book, The Driver's Seat, which is out now. And we'll discuss the journey in his life that has brought him to the current day and the interesting correlation between the talents that he's had and the talents that he's developed that have brought him to where he is today. I got my boy Jay Floyd in the building today. Yes, 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 yes. How you doing, Jay, man? Man, I'm excellent, man. It's a beautiful day outside. It is indeed, man. It is indeed. We ain't had too many of these. It's either been super hot or super cold, man. Yeah. And this is what we wanted, right? This is what, <laughs> what we complained for in the winter. We wanted this. We got it. We right. got to enjoy it, man. This is what we pleaded for. So I'm, I'm not going to complain. Yeah. You know, I was telling myself earlier that I needed to find a happy median in the wintertime. <laughs> If I was gonna be here, I need to find a way to 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 release in the winter time. Because uh -huh. uh -huh. normally I find myself going outside into the elements when I need to clear my head. Yeah. You know, the birds are chirping, the, the grass is green, the leaves are blowing on the trees. But I don't get none of that in this winter time. Yeah. I can't get none of that. Nah. How, how you deal with the winter, Jay? Man, how does that man, treat you, man? Listen, Being from here. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've been here my whole life, man, but I'm more of a homebody, man. I just yeah. I just stay in the crib, man. You know, one thing about me, I keep my heat on. Uh, my heat stays. Like, that's the reason why I go out and make money and, and do what I do <laughs> so I can pay the gas bill. You know, I'm right. not one of those people that's like, no, I don't turn it on yet. Right, 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 right. Immediately. Immediately, <laughs> I turn that bad boy on, man. It's, it stays 70 plus in my house oh. at all times. You know, I found my sweet spot, man. I found my sweet spot to be about 67. 60. 67. That's my. Oh, oh. That's before it hit the fan, though. <laughs> like, if I'm turning it on around October, November, I'm at a smooth 67, and that, that's, that works good for me. 62. In my house, 67, the heat's not even on. No. You, you got to turn it on, man. We, It's like 74 in my house, man. Oh, man. When we there, you know, you had to go out and get one of those smart thermostats. So, you know, I, I set the timer based on the weekdays and weekends. Mm -hmm. When we're home, 
it stays 74. Even in the summertime, like right now, right, right. it's going to cool my house to 74. Really? I, I like 74, man. Oh, okay. That's the magic number for you. Yeah. 74. Yeah. All right. Well, Jay, I want to ask you a question, man. I, I like to ask people this question from time to time. It's kind of one of my icebreaker questions. I like man. that. All right. What's the last book that you've read? Woo! That I've read or listened to because, oh, yeah, you know, my, the way my schedule is set up these days, <laughs> I understand. I have to listen to a lot of audio books in Either order or. to get it in. Either or. Um, man, what is the last? Um, the follow up to uh, The Five People You Meet in Heaven, which mm. is called The First Phone Call from Heaven by Mitch Album. Um, you know, Five People You Meet in Heaven is one of my favorite books. I, I try to reread it every couple of years because mm-hmm. it just continues to have a new meaning. Um, What's it about? The five people you meet in heaven is, I don't want to give it away, but it's about this older gentleman who works at a an amusement park. Uh, he's a, a war vet mm-hmm. and he dies. And it's about what happens the moment he dies, who he sees who they were in his life and what meaning they had that he didn't understand while he was living. That's so heavy. it's the five people you meet in heaven. That's heavy. Yeah. I actually got that on one of my uh, on my list of one of my books to read, man. And um, just the title alone. Yeah. It's like a seller, <laughs> man. The title alone will get you. Yeah. It's like, oh, who, who would I meet? Yeah. Who do I see? Who do it's, I speak to? Huh? It gives you a new perspective on the people that you are walking by every day. Because it's not just like, oh, your mother, your father. Nah, right. it didn't go like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of um, the concept of theophany, you know, where basically it's the manifestation of God in different forms mm-hmm. around us. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like the, the person we see on the street. Or the inspiration that comes to us, you know, from a loved one or a stranger that we don't know, you know. I'm Um, a firm believer in that. I think that's, we're surrounded by that all the time. You know, uh, God does not have lips and a voice mm -hmm. that we we can relate to, you know. So he speaks through his creations, you know what I mean? So I think, you know, I I believe in that wholeheartedly, man. Yeah, that's good, man. What's the last thing he told you, man? (sighs) The last thing God told me? Yeah, man. The last thing God told me is to have a plan, uh-huh. is to to don't, you know, really approach it in an intelligent way. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the thing that he's been working on me with. And it's been coming to me in this kind of social media epiphany of what do I spend my energy on? Right. And is it wise? You know, mm-hmm. like I could, if I can talk. I'm a communicator. Mm-hmm. That's the way God built me to communicate. But he built me to communicate for him. Right. You know, if I waste hours and hours, you know, debating politics on social media, it's a horrible waste because I'm taking what God gave me to use in a certain way and just squandering it for something that just made me feel good in the moment. Right. So I've really just been, you know, like I think the election kind of pushed everything to this yeah. point where it was like because I grew up in a political family. You know, I could talk politics for days but once the election happened last year it was like politics reached a point where I didn't want to discuss anymore it felt like a waste right you know like so now I understand even when I get into a political discussion I'm coming into it doing God's work my thing is to bring people together to bring some understanding I don't care if people agree with me I don't care if uh if I try I'm not there to try to sway people 
I'm there so that everybody can remain who they are, but understand they need to love each other. Right. You know what I mean? That's my focus, and I try to think about that all the time. Every single post that I, I every time I write a post, I read it, reread it, read it again, and I say, you know what? Does this further what God is calling you to do? Because if it doesn't, I delete it. Mm-hmm. And I delete a lot of them. Right, 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 right. A lot of them never get posted, man, you know? I was thinking earlier, man, if I had a camera that kind of showed the messages that I was about to (laughs) post or the messages I was about to send, oh, it would be hilarious. Seriously. It'd be hilarious, man. What do you you think that your plans, how do you think that your plans are helping you now? What do you think the big ones are that you're focusing on now? Because I know you just finished up your second book, right? Yeah. Actually, it's kind of my third book. Okay. Or like, you know, my one of my friends says my second and a half book. Okay. But, um, you know, my first book was called The Poet Who Watched the Whole Parade. Uh-huh. It was my life story. You know, I'm pretty sure you recognize that. That's a quote from KRS-One and my mm-hmm. philosophy. Um, it's all about my brother and my mom, my dad, my uncle, my grandma, all people who passed away. And, you know, it's kind of like my five people you meet in heaven, except Mm. it's like five people I knew on earth. And um, here's how they exposed me to who I was supposed to be. Um, And that was my first book. My second book is called The Unofficial Guide to Fatherhood. And that is, you know, it was written by a group of nine authors. And I'm one of them. You know, they saw my first book and saw my story and they knew I was a father. So they wanted me to take part. They, You know, it's all authors from all walks of life, all over the country. Some of these guys are bestsellers. Um, you know, each telling our piece of what fatherhood is for us. Well, let you know. me ask you this question, man. What's fatherhood to you? <sighs> to me, fatherhood is 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 trying, you know, I heard somebody once say, you know, being a parent is like carrying a, a plate glass window from one house to another. Mm. It's like you're going to scratch it. You just try not to shatter it, uh, you know, that's and good. that's that is, you know, it's all about not being so hard on yourself, enjoying the moment. And for the thing that's been coming to me lately is being a lenient parent, you know, like we I know a lot of us grew up, you know, real old school. You know, we had grandmas or grandparents and parents who was real old school. And they always be like, you know, that boy deserve a whooping. That boy deserve that boy right. deserve his butt kicked. Right, right. You know, right. and it's true. A lot of kids do deserve their butts kicked. <laughs> but the thing is, if you really look at it in the metaphor of God to us, we deserve our butts kicked a lot too. This is true. And God don't come down doing a whole lot of butt kicking. God don't give us what we deserve. He gives us what we need. Right. And that's what my thing as a parent is sometimes when my kids are dead wrong. Dead wrong, red-handed. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But right. I, you can't always just come in like, let me be judge, jury, and executioner. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of times it's about let me, let me show you some grace. Show you some grace, and let me teach you about why I'm even upset right now. Mm-hmm. Let me show you the reason why, because I know you wanted to do what you wanted to do, but let me show you why, from a parent standpoint, I'm upset with this. I'm not just gonna wild out on you and just start spanking where you don't get it. And don't get me wrong, there's times where you need to course correct your kids. Right. But I think sometimes, you know, the thing that God has been pouring into me is God is a lenient parent, man. Because if we got what we deserve, none of us would be sitting here right now. Man. That's heavy, man. That's heavy. It's kind of interesting hearing you say that and as I'm thinking about the concept of your first book mixed with the concept of this book. Yeah. 
mixed with the concept of the third book. Yeah. You know, which which we're gonna get into that in a little second here. But I think that that's interesting. Just hearing you mention all three of those, um, you guys got to check these out, man, because it's it's really just interesting just to hear the transition and the growth from these things, especially since I know that we're all doing life, and and I happen to be doing life with this brother here, so I know that we learn things Absolutely. along this path. I guess one question I, I want to ask just as popping into my brain is, what do you think that is one of the biggest things that you've learned since you wrote your first book? Because mm. I know you, you, you've had an impeccable journey just to get to the point of writing yeah. your first book. What, what do you think is one of the most important things that you've learned or seen? Um, you know, the big thing for me is that I think I approached my first book with, you know, let me show you all this pain. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, my brother was murdered when I was 16. Uh, you know, my parents both passed away. My grandma, my uncle, all of these people. I just felt like, let me show y'all all the hurt and let me heal from this hurt and move forward. You know, this is all bad things, you know. But I think now what God has shown me along this journey is a lot of these things are not necessarily bad things. They're just things. You know what I mean? They're just how life is. And I think a lot of the things that we look at as, oh, the enemy did this or, you know, things went against me. A lot of the things that I thought were going against me, that was just God's plan. They were actually going for me. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't feel good. Right. You know what right. I mean? Right. And that's the biggest thing that I've seen recently is just there's a difference between an enemy and an adversary. Okay. You Look, know? Explain that a little bit. I think to me, like, you know, a lot of things we blame on the enemy. Oh, the devil did this, the devil did that. that you know, sometimes it can be that. But a lot of times God places adversity in front of us. And it's going. It's making us not be able to do something we want to do easily. Right. Because the reason why is because God wants us to either not do it or get better through it. You know, we He wants a better version of us in order to accomplish the thing. We can't just wake up like, God, I want a brand new house, and it just pop up like that. Ta da. Exactly. Right. So a lot of times we might have this goal. We might be hitting it hard, working hard, but God is saying, I need you to grow in a certain way. So that you can actually even be ready for what you're asking me for. So here's some adversity. Mm-hmm. Boom. You know, we go to work. Some people will be like, and you know, me and my wife talk about this a lot. You know, you could be like, man, I hate my job. I want a new job. Right. My boss is this. You know, the coworker is that. And God will give you a new job. Yeah, I've seen it happen so many times. And you know what happened on that new job? The boss is still this. And the coworkers is still that. And it's still And it's going to keep happening even if you leave that one. And leave that one. Because God is saying, it ain't the co-worker and the boss that's the issue. I'm putting those people there because I need you more patient. I need you more gracious. I need you to be better than you were. You can't keep walking into these situations thinking the other person needs to change. I need you sculpted. I need you sculpted. A lot of times the, the things that we have right in front of and I wrote about this in my new book, In the Driver's Seat. You know, if you look at like Finding Nemo. Mm-hmm. I know it might sound silly, but a lot of these concepts are based on biblical principles. You know, he had a journey across the entire ocean, right? That's right. an epic journey for the tragic hero who was looking for his son, right? And along the way, he was very particular about how he wanted his environment. Right. Certain everything that he met, every person and character that he met was exactly what he didn't want. <laughs> right. He met Dory. He met the turtle. He didn't like none of them people. They Nobody. all got on his nerves. 
couldn't stand them, tried to leave them, tried to get without them, skirt them, and it didn't work because those was the people that was going to make him good enough to get across the whole ocean. Not the people that would have been, oh, these are the exact people I like to be around. This is it. This is comfortable. They wouldn't have gotten nowhere. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we need that. A person at work that's getting on your nerves, they teaching you patience. You got to say, so sometimes for me, it's just like about praying. God, what are you trying to get from me on this? Right. What do I need to start working on? Yeah. You know, yeah. and I, and it's, it's always something, man. I, I know I'm only, I can only speak for myself. I always got something that's wrong that I need to get better on, man. I can agree with you, man. I, I, think, I think one of the things that I began to ask was not so much what is this person in my life for or what is this obstacle in my life for, more or less. God, show me what do you want me to get from this. Yeah. You know, what do you want me to take away from this situation? What do you want me to take away from this engagement? Yeah. Because it, it really helps us to, to shape um, how we look at a situation, you know, because at the end of the day, we can go outside now and it, it could be raining cats and dogs. And I could sit here and say, oh, this is the worst weather I've seen in months. <laughs> or I could say, oh, there's something growing out there. Yeah. Something needs some water. Yeah. You know, so I, I think that's an excellent point that you mentioned there, man. And you actually even you said something a few minutes ago. You you used your first book as to to display paint. Mm-hmm. Okay. And my question is, do you think that by displaying that paint that it was also something that helped you to heal? Absolutely. You know, and I talk about it in all of my books. I went to therapy. You know, I was in a relationship um, with my my oldest child's mom, premarital relationship. Mm -hmm. We were going through the motions. You know, I bought a house, all of that stuff, did everything but get married. I was not in the church. I wasn't letting God uh, order my steps. Um, And we had a horrible breakup when my daughter was two years old. And it was really painful for me to watch history repeat itself mm-hmm. and to see my child be in the same situation that I was in at that age really hurt and so somebody gave me a number uh, said you know here's a marriage counselor and you know I took it and was like I'm not married but at that moment when all the chips were down I called that therapist and you know she's like well Wendy when do you and your wife want to come in and I was like there is no wife <laughs> there's just me Right. And I'll never forget her response was, "Well, you halfway there then." Oh wow! It's like a lot of people pay me just to come in here and blame their spouse. If you come in here to work on yourself, you halfway there. Wow! And I came in and I told her, essentially everything that's in my first book. And you know she t- and it, it actually ties into my third book, because one of the stories about my brother and my mom. My brother was older than me about four years, and my mom. My mom was uh, like a genius level person, right? Mm-hmm. She was uh, had 143 IQ. And, uh, you know, back in the 80s, when I was growing up, we didn't have child seats, right? So right. we would sit right in the middle of whatever we wanted, wherever <laughs> we wanted. So right. I would sit in the back seat and just pull myself up over that front seat and have poke my head in between them and just learn life, mm-hmm. everything, politics, music, all of that. Just learn, learn, learn. And then... You know, for them to both be taken away from me, how I felt at the time, you know, for them to not be alive anymore, um, you know, I was struggling. I was struggling. I was, my life was crashing. And that lady told me, the therapist told me, you're still in that back seat. Mm. You're still letting life happen to you. You're waiting 
for your mom and your brother to keep driving and it's not their turn to drive no more. Right. And that's everything that I write about. That's why my first book, I talk about their lives. This book that's out right now is called The Driver's Seat because that's exactly what I had to do. I had to get out of that back seat, take control of my life, and say, God, where is it you need me to go? You know what's interesting, man? Um, I think at a certain age, we're too young to drive. Yeah. You know, we're just simply not capable of taking that wheel. And hearing you talk about that, um, these are older people. You had your older brother, you had your mother who were driving the wheel. So so justifiably, there was a point in time where they should have been. Absolutely. And I guess my question to you with that is, what do you think that you received from them driving? Because mm. to a certain degree, it, at a, there was a point in time where it was time for you to take the wheel. Yeah. But during that time where they were driving the wheel and it was just a way of life. Yeah. What do, what do you think you took away from that? You know what? It's, you asked some excellent questions, by the way, man. It's, it's, it's like, um, you know what? It's, most people that see me now, they see me be a motivational speaker. They see me in front of a crowd. If they knew me when I was young, people are completely shocked. There's people that come to New Community and they're like, oh, my God, you were up there on stage. You from back when we were in school. I was so completely painfully shy as a kid. Mm. And my brother was the complete opposite. Uh. I mean, he was out there. He knew everybody. He was in the football gang. He was the, in the with the, all the cheerleaders, you know, in the rap group. He even joined the gang, which is how he ended up getting into violence and stuff. You know, he was just always on the cutting edge of everything. Mm. And I was just sitting in the house reading the book mm-hmm. up under my mom watching Young and the Restless with her and, you know right right. <laughs> you know all the stuff <laughs> right. she would tell me boys are not supposed to do boys are supposed to go out get out there get outside play it wasn't in me it was not there right. at that age I didn't have it I was a very non-assertive kid very passive uh, painfully shy um, my mom had lived an adventure of a life. She had done everything you could possibly imagine. So my brother was just right there along with her. You know, he followed right into that trend. Right. They were peas in the pod. For me, I was it was like watching a TV show. Mm. I was, you know, like you see these reality shows now. That's what I lived. Like just watching the two of them, it was like I I, don't, I can't do any of that stuff. But man, just why look at them? You know. Right. And I remember my, when my brother was killed. He was 19. And I was 16, and we went to his funeral, and it was so many people. It was unbelievable how many, like, I couldn't even fathom that many people. But then people see me now. What people see of me now is a little bit of me and a little bit of my brother. Right, especially what you're saying, that you used to be so shy. Absolutely. It seems like you kind of took that Absolutely. and carried on that legacy, man. And, you know, people will say, you know, well, maybe that's him. I think it's more of the fact that we both had it. It's just that he had it first. And because he had it first, I never had to have it. Right. I just watched him. And when he wasn't there no more, it was like, oh, I got it too. Mm-hmm. You know? And I started then, it was a matter of, well, what am I supposed to do with it? Why do I have it? And that's when, you know, when meeting my wife finally was like, okay, let's go to church and let's talk about God. And then it was like, okay, now things start to make sense. Uh Uh-huh, full circle. Yes. Full circle. And, you know, my mom was always in church, 
when she was younger, she from Mississippi. Everybody down there go to church. Right. You know, but <laughs> I, you know, we had a, a typical 80s Cleveland divorced parent, you know, childhood where it was like, we were, we was just doing whatever work. We go to church if we can, maybe possibly none, but sometimes no. You know, it wasn't, we had no foundation of anything, you know? Yeah. So I had to grow that. You yeah. had to grow that. I heard you mention something interesting in the book, man. It's a concept that you referred to as um, seatbelts. You yeah. kind of spoke on it a little bit. Um, can you share a little more light on that? Man. What, what, what's a seatbelt, man? <laughs> what is a seatbelt when it comes to the our life? What are seatbelts? You know what? It's funny. I was just having a conversation about this at work today. You know, I'm a, I'm a life coach now, and I, I run into so many people who tell me, uh, so many clients who have pain from their childhood, you know, things places where they were abused mm -hmm. molested uh, you know traumatic events that happened to them you know those kind of things will strap us into the back seat you know because mm -hmm. to your point a lot of times we're too young to deal with a lot of things especially in this fallen world a lot of things happen in front of the eyes of children before we're able to process it healthily and handle it right and uh, you know for me like about 90% of my childhood was things I wasn't supposed to see. Right. You know what I mean? Like, we know we're from a family that, from the hood, you know, we didn't have a whole lot. Uh, you know, a lot of violence, a lot of misogyny, um, you know, divorce, absent fathers, a lot of that. My uncle was a pimp. Um, you know, being exposed to what that means at a young age. All of those things are seatbelts. You know, those are the traumatic events mm. that will that will really startle a kid and make them start looking like, I don't have control over this crazy life. Mm. I'm stuck in this back seat. Look at this. Look at all these things happening. And when we get stuck in that back seat, the car is still rolling. We're still waking up every day to this gift of life and things are rolling. I mean, and speaking to the audience, man, even you who was in the worst possible condition that you can think of, but you who think that you are at your bottom level, that nobody's got it worse than you, you still woke up today with 24 hours gifted to you. I mean, the same force and power that created the universe, the, the stars and the moon woke you up. That's powerful. That's powerful. It's powerful. And if we don't do something with it, it's, that's a lot of power careening. And that's why, you know, even people in some really bad circumstances have tremendous effect. You can Absolutely. live really unhealthily and unhealthily affect a lot of people. Absolutely. You know, you can wake up and think, I ain't got nothing and hurt 50 people in your day. You know, because of how powerful God's power is in you. And if you don't harness it right and look to him for direction, we will careen and go out of control and hit a lot of people, you know. And for me, my seatbelts were pretty obvious. You know, I, I lost my brother, my mom, a lot of people, and I, I sat myself in that back seat. I came to find out that I had post-traumatic stress disorder from that. Mm. I was also diagnosed with panic disorder, which is congenital. So that means I was born with it. Okay. Which is why I was so painfully shy as a kid. You know, in the 80s, especially a black family, they didn't know how to deal with that. I mean, they didn't even have like right. things to deal with ADHD and all that stuff back then, much less somebody with panic disorder and anxiety disorder that makes them afraid. Right. So it's like, we had no idea what to do with that. It was just, oh, little Jason is shy, you know? 
Um, so then looking back on it, that helps me put perspective on why I approach things that way. But one of the biggest things about these seatbelts is they come off. And even if they can't come off, we can cut them off. Because right. God has that ability. God did not design us to be stuck on these seatbelts. Right. He can strip it away easily. He can strip it away. He has the power to do that. If I wake up every day and I know in my flesh I have panic disorder and post-traumatic stress disorder, I know that. The moment I wake up, I know that. I can feel it happening. But I also know that God woke me up. And God has power above my physical limitations. So every day I wake up, the first thing I do is I swing my legs around on the bed and I say, thank you, God, for waking me up. Empower me again over this day. It's interesting. You kind of segue to that. I um, was actually going to ask you, what do you do in the morning? What's your morning look like? When you wake up, you know, that's a big part of it. The first thing I do, because, you know, one of the things and a lot of people may be able to relate to this, whether they've been diagnosed or not. The morning is a very vital time for people. Very. You know, you're we, we are all controlled by the chemicals in our brain. Our moods are controlled by literal chemicals flowing in our blood through our brain. And the moment you wake up, you're going from a dream to reality. So your body and mind is trying to find, okay, what's my normal balance that I go at every day? Right. And it will settle low if you're exposed to low things. And that's why people with such things, anxiety disorders, have a tough time in the mornings because you could have a great dream mm-hmm. and wake up to things that you don't like. And your mind will tell you, this is what I was talking about. This is why we need to get depressed. This is why we need to go this low. It. And it kicks those those chemicals in that it's used to. So so used to it, it's addicted to them. So it needs them to come needs through. Them. So it says, here we go. Here we go another morning. Let me kick these endorphins in to make you feel down. But what you can do is, if you know that's what you deal with, I know that's what I deal with. So I build guardrails. So when I wake up, the first thing I do is pray. Second thing I do is think about my family. Think about what's important to me. And then I grab my phone. I know a lot of people say we are tied to our phones, and we are. And that can be a problem, but it's not avoidable. You're going to be around your phone. So what I feel like, if it's not avoidable, turn it into a tool. Okay. So how is it your tool? What do you use? What do you do? First things first. First priority is always the Bible app. I want to read scripture before I have any other thought. Now, I know that may sound like, oh, well, that's forced, and, you know, that your heart's not into it. Absolutely right. You're absolutely correct on both of those things. There's going to be times where your heart's not into it. But guess what? That's how life is. We are human, and we are fallible. Our heart is always not going to be into something. It doesn't matter how noble it is, we're going to have a day where we don't feel like doing it. Right. So what you have to do is, or as, as what I would learn, that routine trumps inspiration. You build that routine, no matter what, even if you're not feeling it. Sometimes reading that scripture is what makes you feel like it. Right, get your juices flowing. Yes, get your juices flowing. And, you know, one of the things I talk about in my book is that not everybody has an alpha personality. Absolutely. You know, not as some people are betas. They're going to be more followers. Some people are omegas. They're going to be more laid back and eccentric. There's, that's, that's just who it is. That's, that's no problem with that. It's just what it is. But if you know you have to compete with alphas who wake up every morning with with energy to go and intent to get up and conquer the day, if that's what you're competing with and you have priorities with God and your family and you want to place their family in the right position, 
then you have to make yourself an alpha. And you can do that with by controlling your mornings. Get your energy going. If you know you run with a low engine, if you're an omega or a beta, all right, well, you just need a little more fuel in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no, you can be at the starting line with anybody else. A little more high octane. High octane. That's all man. you got to do. Don't do the 87. Try the 89. Exactly. <laughs> Try that 89, man. And you can run with anybody. Yeah, the Mustangs man. out there, you can run with them. them mo- any motivational speaker, and I say, I say this as one. You can be as just as energetic as them if you want to, if you prioritize it. Like Eric Thomas would say, you just have to want it. Nobody procrastinates. Right. We just don't prioritize. That put a thought into my head, man, because someone who can wake up with a, with a low energy, they may not just know what the source of how to fuel that energy is. Yeah. And it... um. One of the big things that I've noticed is self-awareness. It's it's really a lack of self-awareness. So it may not be so much that your energy is low. It's maybe just how to refuel that that energy. You may be a Porsche at the end of the day, and you can't feed that Porsche that regular fuel. You got to get you something a little more upgraded. I like that. You know? I like that. That's a perspective to to think about for the people, man. And I want to go back a little bit here, man, because it's it's one thing that stuck out in my mind. I want to ask this question to you because just in case somebody may be thinking this in their head. Like, how do I know I'm in the back seat? Yeah. How do I know I have a seatbelt on? I've yeah. had a, like, especially interesting enough that you say that you you get these seatbelts on most of the time they come from our childhood. Absolutely. You know, so if I'm, you know, a late teens or, you know, a young adult or maybe even my 40s, 50s, I've had these seatbelts on my mm-hmm. whole life. I've been in the back seat my whole, this is kind of what this looks like. How do I know? How do I know I'm not in the best seat possible? I would say, you know, you have to look at your life, right? We all typically have complaints over where we're not at, what we're not doing, how things feel. That's where that comes from. You know, when you feel unfulfilled, oh, man, I don't Mm -hmm. like my job. Oh, I get up and I feel tired. I feel like this is no point, you know. It feels like, you know, every week is blending together. I'm not getting anywhere. I feel unfulfilled. You know, what I like to consider is that we're all tools in God's tool belt. Mm. God designed each and every one of us with a specific gift to do a specific work. And when we're not doing that work, you're going to feel an ache. There's an ache and a pain. And almost all of us at some point are not doing that work because this kind of society forces us into nine to fives, you know, and just do what you need to do to get paid. And we have no way around that. But, you know, like my dad taught me when I was younger, you do what you can do to mm-hmm. fund doing what you want to do. Right. And so you, you get in tune with God and find out what am I? Because a lot of times, you know, if you have quirks, if you have uniquenesses, even things right. that get on people's nerves, it's because you are uniquely designed. You're uniquely designed to do a certain work. Right. You know what I mean? There's some people it's like, oh, man, those people are so agitating. Yeah, but I guarantee you that the way that they're agitating you is because they're they're built to do something real specific, and they probably just haven't found it yet. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They have a gift, and I think that's how we all are. Even one of the things, and I think I want to write about this one day, the gift of meekness. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember Pastor Kevin James talking about it once, and it just struck me. Like, I've been having this concept of who my father was. My dad was a very gentle person. Mm-hmm. soft-spoken, patient, but like he got everything in life that you could ask for mm. eventually. 
Right. Just not right away. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Not right away. Right. And had he panicked and and been impatient and been loud and belligerent and you know probably wouldn't have got any of that. But he ended up getting all the things that a man asked for in life. Just eventually. In his 83 years, he eventually had it all. I think it's important to stress uh, that meaning of meek, man. Because I think a lot of people either don't know or they just assume it's just more or less the gentle part of it. Yes. Or the um, the passive part. Yeah. But it's, it's so much more to it. You know, there's an understated strength in meekness. And I think the problem with meekness, I really like words and I like phonetics and etymology. And the problem with meekness is that it sounds like we. That's really as simple as it is. And I think so many people just lump them together. But there's really no no correlation between the two. Um, you know, meekness is, is an understated strength. You know, and so when the when the Bible says that the meek shall inherit the earth, they're talking about the people who can endure, the patient, you know, the people who have grace. You know, God has shown his grace in meek ways to us. You know, we're you know, a lot of times there's storms and there's things that happen where God shows his force in a very, very aggressive way. But then there's a lot of times that God, especially with us in our lives where God's God's power and love is shown in a meek way you know just something beautiful just a butterfly floating in front of you or you know you investing in somebody and 20 years later them saying thank you for that right and you seeing it pay off the beauty of that moment that's God's love coming through in a meek way you know and that has nothing to do with weakness it actually can be more strong than what we on earth typically consider strength absolutely you know absolutely well i'm 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 pretending i'm the listener right so in my mind i'm hearing you talk and i'm, I'm hearing these seat belts and yeah i got this feeling of unfulfillment yeah and i tried to let god steer is what i'm thinking in my head mm-hmm. i tried yeah. I tried to let him steer, and it just didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Now what am I to do? You know, I tried that. You know what I would tell that person? And, and I can imagine people feeling that way because I felt that way. You know, but one thing I would say is, you know, my book is slightly unique in that I don't tell people to steer. Uh-huh. I don't tell people to let God steer. I mean, uh-huh. I don't tell people to wait and let God do it. You know, I'm talking about assertive Mm-hmm. bold Christian life and I think too much of Christianity has been passive and I don't think anything about God is passive okay you know and God wants us to take an active life active role in life uh, or else he wouldn't have made our lives so finite yeah you know we don't even know the last day we're going to be here it could be today mm-hmm. we don't know so if that's if there's any other indication than that, that you should take an active role in who God created you to be, you know. So I, when I when I when I write the driver's seat, I'm talking about us grabbing that wheel, and I talk about that wheel. I know the, the phrase "Jesus take the wheel" is popular, but I'm talking about us taking that wheel. I'm talking about us being Peter, walking on that water, doing something incredible because we're staring right at God and focused on where God wants us to go. Well. If I'm Peter, once again, okay, so yeah. I'm not going to let God steer. I'm going to take the wheel take myself, the wheel. but I'm afraid. Yeah. 
I'm afraid. Absolutely. Same way Peter was afraid. I, yeah. am, I am scared to death. Yeah. Especially since I've been living this life for a couple of years. Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm no spring chicken. I've been living and I'm I'm afraid. Yeah. To take the I don't know. I could hit a I could go off the world off the road. You might. Anything could happen. It's possible. You got and that's where you know the one if there's one thing the Bible says more than anything is to have courage. Mm. You know, and eventually that's what we have to do and I think that's the line of why so much of the church is passive. Mm-hmm. Because real godliness is scary. It is. And I felt that fear. You know, one of the things that I think actually was a benefit to me was that I had been through so much trauma. You know, by the time I came to God, I felt like there's nothing more for me to be afraid of. Like, I had seen so many things. I'm like, I want to be in the presence of God. This world doesn't scare me. Mm -hmm. I want God. You know, what scares me is not finding God that's what scares me right because this world is crazy right and if I don't find God that's scary mm-hmm. so I seek him and I seek him with all my might and I think so many of us especially males we get caught in a prolonged adolescence where we're just waiting for somebody to say I know you're scared I got you I know you're scared. I got this. But God is the only one that's really can, that really can say that. And he's been saying it. And we just have to listen to him. We want somebody here to say, I'm going to bail you out. Mm. Don't be scared because it can't go wrong. I've already rigged it for you. That's what we want. Right. You know, that's what our moms did when we was younger. But here's the thing. When you grow up, you have to detach from that. That's part of life. And I think a lot of us, and just I can I know I can speak for myself and the people that I've spoken to, we have an issue doing that. Getting out of that seat. Getting we have an issue detaching from people like our mothers who will always make it comfortable for us. Mm. And my mom passed away when I was 21, and it still took me till I was 30 to really do that. Right. It's hard. You know, that is like one of the things that they talked about, and I think Pastor Kevin has mentioned this before too, is the phases of manhood, being a child, going to adolescence, then going into man, then mentor, then elder. And I think one of the problems is we never get past the adolescent. Right. Even though we grow up, we get older. The mm-hmm. difference, the only difference between an adolescent and a man, there's only one. The only difference is that a man has to do things he doesn't want to do. And a lot of men are conflict averse. And there's no problem with that, but you have to know that you are because conflict is what makes a healthy relationship. It means you have to mature and know how to have conflict healthy. We have to have a healthy conflict. Most of us, we only know getting along or fighting. That's it. So if me and you don't see eye to eye, if we don't agree on this, one of us got to just be quiet about it or we about to fight. Right. And that's a problem. We have to be mature enough and have enough of God's grace to say, look, I don't see it that way. And ain't nothing wrong with that. Let's talk about it. Right. And we're going to walk out this room still loving each other. But how can we ever get better if we're always going without any conflict? We're not being sharpened, right? Right. Because the... the, the the growth in that situation is not the fact that we can agree on the one thing or disagree. 
the, I think the bigger component is an understanding. Absolutely. You know, that we can leave this situation with an understanding, yep. whether it's, you know, men talking to each other or men versus women. And I think that's one of the biggest um, areas of opportunity is being able to create that dialogue yeah. and have that communication so that we can at least have an understanding. Because, I mean, keep it on it. How many dudes out there, their biggest problem is in relationships, they don't know how to tell their woman exactly what they mean mm-hmm. because they don't want them to be mad. They don't want to hurt them. Mm-hmm. So next thing you know, they're going through the motions. Then they're cheating. Then it's a big problem. Then it's a fight. Then it's a breakup. And it's like you have to be able to say things, especially, and I don't mean to be, you know, to separate the genders, but I feel like if you're going to live in a godly way, and I only know the male experience, so I think for a man to live in a godly way, our best bet is to eliminate as much confusion as possible. Mm. Even if you're dead wrong, somebody should understand exactly what you're saying. Right. You should leave no question, and you should be mature enough if somebody feels the opposite. That's good. You know, if somebody walks away from you thinking, I really don't know what he meant, it's probably because you were being extremely passive-aggressive in your communication, which is what we do. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to say no without saying no. You know, have it both ways. Right. And that's just not, I mean, God is not the God of confusion. And the moment we try to have it both ways, we're blocking God out. Hey, Jay, let me ask you this, man. How do you, how does one who motivates find motivation? Mm. How does, how does, <laughs> you know, even even myself, and I've, I was asked that, man, and I'd like to ask you that, because you spend a lot of time, you, you spent the bulk of your life basically fueling up mm-hmm. you know it might not have felt good yeah but you spend a lot of your life fueling up to the point where now that you can um few others yeah you know so so how does one who's who's here to inspire how do how do you find yourself refueling you know what um man you gotta stay tapped into god god is the power source you know in, in the book the driver's seat i talk a lot about back to the future mm-hmm. and the and the, and the, the uh the clock tower and getting that power but it's it's so true you got to get back to that power source there's only one and um you know like david said he restores our soul Mm -hmm. he does you know um that you have to get back in there and, and let god show you what's important and you know for people like me and people like you and other motivators and things we do it for a reason we do it because we have a certain inclination to speak and to channel God's what God is trying to say to other people. I like to call this God's microphones, right? Mm-hmm. That's the tool that we are mostly most associated with. You know, right. I can take a word that's small and amplify it for other people. You know, that's what God has designed me to do for him. So I think the more that we do it, the more fulfillment we find. And that kind of keeps you going. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, the first, I, was, I used to be a, a rapper for years I was a rapper for over 20 years and um, you know I started getting into spoken word and I wrote this spoken word piece and went to do it and after I performed it this guy that I didn't know walked up to me and said you know I was speaking his life to him and I mean this dude was crying and everything and it was that moment showed me okay I think I'm getting getting to something here Mm -hmm. I think because out of all the bars I ever spit out of everybody telling me, oh, that was nice, that was dope, you did that, I like the way you flipped that. None of it, all of those decades, none of it added up to that one moment. Mm. That moment felt like, okay, that's different. 
somebody feeling your pain. Yeah. And it's it's so interesting just from the, the transition, man, from I'm not I'm not gonna classify it as a rapper, I'm gonna say an artist. Yeah. Um from an artist to an author to speaker, all being vessels that you use to um convey your pain but also it, it helped people to relate yeah it helped people to realize that they also too hey you know i've been through this you know this is that guy coming up to you saying man you just spoke my life and you just spoke your life yeah you know yeah. you're speaking your <laughs> life not even realizing probably what you're actually doing yeah and i know that you realize that now which is why you probably embarked on the path that you did Absolutely. but it's so astonishing the things that God will show us and take us through in order to get us where he <laughs> wants <Yep>. us at. <laughs> you know? Because if you would have told me 20 years ago, yo, why don't you go to this church and say something for God, I would have <laughs> looked at you crazy because I was more like Paul, man. I was yeah. I was the condemner of Christians. You know, like people around me would get into church and I would be like, man, what? And yeah. I would try to, you know, it's funny. <laughs> I just tell this story, man. My best friend's brother, we used to go out to New York to record, and um, we were going out there, and he was like, yo, I like y'all music. I want to come out there with you. And he rode the, in the road trip with us. And the whole trip, he kept talking about this new church he was going to. And he was like, it's like oh, it just changed my life. It showed me the light, man. I know God. I know Jesus. And I'm just like, man, what? What are you even talking about, man? This is nice. You know, I was one of those know-it-all anti-Christians, right? I was right. like, man, I've read that verse. <laughs> and let me tell you what it really means. And let me break it down to you because the real Hebrew meant this. Right, and right. the real Greek word meant that. So it wasn't even literal. Let me tell you, you ain't breaking it. <laughs> right, right. And, I, and I, I, you know, I'm a good speaker. Mm-hmm. I was on debate club in high school. I, I, can, I can go. Mm-hmm. And I was ripping this dude apart in his brand new faith that he was finding joy in and happiness. I mean, he had been through a divorce, he was hurting, and he had found God and was good. And I was trying to rip it apart because I'm still in my pain. You know what I mean? And it's funny because the church he was talking about was New Community, and the pastor he was talking about was Kevin James, who has helped me in so many ways come to God. And I mean, I can't even name the number of ways he's shown me the light and helped me find who I am. And uh, looking back on it, but I don't feel regret and remorse because I was his adversity. Mm. That was my role. God put me there to sharpen that man's faith. You know what I mean? He couldn't make it easy on him. He gave him me. Right. 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 (laughs) Right. And now to to bring that back double edged sword back full circle. And now you're back. Yep. He's brought you in too. So I'm going to use him <laughs> exactly. as your adversity. Don't worry about him. I'm going to get him later. I'm going to get him later. I'm going to get him later. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going to use that. He's got it. He doesn't know. I'm going to use that later, man. Yep. That's beautiful, man. Yeah. Jay, man, I'm, I'm glad you were able to come out today, man. Um, where, can, where can the folks find the book at, man? Oh, the book is called The Driver's Seat. Um, how to hop out of the back seat and start driving in your God-given purpose. Uh, it can be found on Amazon, Smash Books, um, or you can um, reach out to me on my Facebook page, J. Floyd Speaks Life, or uh, find me on Instagram at J. The Life Coach, um, and I can and you can uh, cash at me, and then I'll give you a, a signed copy because you know everybody always wants the copy signed. Anyway, we might as well just do the signed copy. Beautiful, you know? beautiful. And Jeff Bezos is rich enough. I mean, he's the richest man <laughs> in the world, right? 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode of the Surreal Life Morning Motivation Radio Show. I got to go. I hope that I was able to inspire, empower, and motivate you today, and I hope that our guest was able to do the same through something that you were able to pick up that you might not have had before you listened today. So until then, I'll see you next week, same place, same time, and I want you to keep in mind one day at a time that you can do whatever it is that you set your mind to. The question is, what do you want to do? Salute. Life right. I'm feeling like the most high's favorite child. Cause he gave me you. A breath of fresh air and a brand new morning. Penny blue. I wake up blessed and highly favored. Just to see another day through. Second chances 